Welcome to Oak City Church, a family of learners, lovers, and givers sent. For more information, visit us online at oakcitychurch.com. Let us know if we can help you in any way. Thank you for listening. All right, Leanne. You can, we can do like Price is Right. Leanne Heinz, ladies and gentlemen. Um, so if you don't know Leanne, this is Leanne. Leanne has been uh, at Oak City for, for 10 or so years. Do we, you know what? Let me put the table in the middle, and then you can set your coffee on it, your tissues. Yeah, yeah. Am I getting a call? <laughs> no, no. No, sorry, you're not. Um, and... So, and Leanne has, we have lots of stories that we could talk about, but we're not going to talk about lots of stories. We're going to talk about one story, and um, it involves uh, a few months ago in April getting a uh, phone call, and we were talking about this earlier. I don't think it's like, as a parent, the phone call that you dread is probably about your kids, but it is a phone call that you dread. So you got a phone call. It was like late on a Tuesday night, and who was it? You don't have to turn it on. John has to turn it oh, on. Okay. Yeah, okay. we'll get it. It was my sister. Um, and what what was she? Um, well, uh, it was she she called me and she was um, well she was yelling over sirens, and I couldn't really hear what she said, but I caught that somebody had been in a wreck, and she was headed with her husband to the scene. Her husband is the uh, assistant fire chief where I'm from. Um, so she was headed with her husband to the scene and she was screaming. And I finally, I said, you've got to, re- I don't know what you're, you know, who, who's been in the wreck. And she said, Steve, Steve is my older brother. Um, and so this happened where? <laughs> in Silex, the exact location you want me to tell? Well, Silex. Silex, Missouri. Which is a town of 213 people. About an hour and a half from. from, Yeah, she's from there. They grew up on an 800-acre farm? Yeah. Yeah. And and this happened on what road? Norton Road. And your maiden name is? Norton. Yes. And you said your sister is is EM? My my sister is married to the assistant fire chief, and my brother is married to the head paramedic. Right. So your sister-in-law was a paramedic. Um, Yes, she is. On scene, and so and so, we've already gotten. So there's four siblings: Steve, Steve, the and Mike, then me, Leanne, and Linnell is my younger sister. And she's married to the assistant fire chief right. in Silex, right? Missouri. Well, Troy, same county. Okay, um, and um, it wasn't. I mean, it was a really bad accident. Um, yes, they had to revive him a few times at the scene. Yes, his, he was thrown 20-something feet from the car. Um, car was flipped over. And uh, my, my brother, my other brother, and his son, my nephew, are the ones who saw the car and went over. Um, and they were afraid that they were going to walk, walk to the car and find a body in the car. But instead, as they were looking around with their flashlights, they saw something in the field, and it happened to be... My other brother. Um, and then it, it, oh, over the next yes, week, I he... I um, you asked. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, over the next week. Um, yeah. 
you guys got to the to the point where you're making decisions about keeping him on life support or not and yeah. trying to gauge yeah. you know whether there were a chance for him to right he to, had to be revived three times they called my sister-in-law who lives on this on norton road and um it's a gravel road um they called her because she's paramedic and they said you need to come and she had to revive him three times at the scene and then they had to airlift him to st louis and um they didn't think he would make it they didn't think he would live you know through the through transport yeah um family's complicated can i get an amen <laughs> a little bit and i have a, a line that i mostly use in premarital class that every family's just but i use it a lot outside of that too every family's dysfunctional you tend not to know what your family's dysfunctions are when you're growing up because you survived it, and so it's technically functional for you. And the further away from it you get, the more dysfunctional it appears. Um, yours is pretty dysfunctional even growing up. Like I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> so we're gonna back up um, to. We went to church every Sunday. We knew oh, God, so our life was then. perfect. Yeah. Um, so Steve was the oldest of four right. siblings. He's five years older than you, right? Right. Um, and he could be really fun growing up. Yeah. Yeah. He was, he had a, yeah, he could be really fun. He was funny. He had good practical jokes and he was actually very sweet. At times. Yes. But at other times he wasn't very sweet. No. He was mean, mean and like, and we'll get there quickly, but just kind of mean in weird ways. So some of it was just mean. Like, you talked about watching some home videos, um, I don't know how long you watched, but where he, he punched you in the head, and you were like, and no one did anything about it, and you're like, what, wait, wait a second. Yeah, 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 he, he was, he would punch, and, you know, sometimes belts were used, he was abusive, he was abusive. Um, uh, I just watched those home movies with my mom when she was here oh, visiting. Really? Yeah. What'd she say? That's a whole different story. <laughs> right. we, we don't need to go down that road. Well, this is the type long. of thing where <laughs> when that happens to you when you're little, you're like, all right, older brother can be bullies. And, yeah. Um, well, you know, kids and so fight. So that just happens. But then when you have kids, you're like, oh, they probably should have done something about that. Right. And they didn't. Right. He, um, uh, he w he started he started doing drugs early. Yes, and I I was saying this before. My timeline is going to be a little bit screwy, I think, but I'm not trying to make it screwy. I feel like he was before he turned 13. He was uh, smoking pot. Um, but it just escalated from there. To where he was doing acid and. These are the things I mean, that Leanne and I are like, when we were kids, you know, whatever, it seemed like people did acid. Now, people don't seem to talk about that anymore. It's no. just different stuff that people do, but yeah. that was a thing back then. People still take hallucinogens, but this was, this yeah. was pretty much, he was self-medicating, so he was pretty much taking whatever he could find at the time. And being abusive to animals was like a chronic thing. It's a theme that's going to come up. And so you gave me one example that you didn't really want to talk about, but I just want you to say, because it's, it is... It is illustrative for. Okay. Um, I'm, this kind of thing gets stuck in my head, so I apologize in advance. Okay, so when, when I said he was abusive to animals, one of the instances I can tell you about is um, he would want, uh, he, sometimes he would take animals and t 
tie them in bags and set the bags on fire. Um, Which is not normal shenanigans. No. I don't think for teenagers. Um, so, and you said he, there were an, a couple times where you walked into a room, again, this is country, Missouri, there are guns around, yeah. that he was holding a shotgun under his chin. Yes. And said. We had, well, we had a lot of guns because we hunted, you know. Um, so when I was young, I walked into the kitchen and he had a shotgun under his chin and he said that he was going to, I don't know how he worded it, but he said he was going to shoot himself and that I was going to stand there and watch or he was going to shoot me. Which is, again, not normal teenage shenanigans. And that he played mm -hmm. Russian roulette with a, with a, with one chamber. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so you, one of the comments that you made a few times is there was never an empty threat. Oh, no, all the threats were credible. Um, to the point where you just wanted to get out of high school. Yeah. I just wanted to, to leave. Um, before anything had happened. Right. So you didn't have to worry to about it. To him or, you know, I didn't want to find him dead and I didn't want to die. Yeah, and you had a, you had a plan. I had an escape route, yeah. I did. From, I, got, I developed it when I was around eight or nine. I knew, how, I knew how I was going to get out of my house if he started shooting. Yeah. Right. So this family is a little bit more complicated than your family, hopefully. Uh, it's certainly a lot more complicated than my family, and I feel like my family is fairly complicated, um, which I think everybody probably does. Uh, this, uh, and you, you can leave family, but family doesn't leave you. Like, it's just like that stuff is stuck with you, and over time, um, that that did you know we talked about watching home videos even with your mom and thinking like why didn't somebody do anything and and then thinking because he you said he went to rehab three times mm -hmm. i mean he had addiction issues and so in the moment when you were younger felt like he was getting preferential treatment yeah well he was getting all the attention and as a parent i understand now that some of your children require all of the attention or at least most of it you know and i understand that but at that time, it was a little, I mean, it's difficult. Yeah. You still try to give your other kids some kind of attention, you know, and that wasn't happening in our house. And also, just to the point of, of knowing that people saw what was going on, which was, you know, like what was in that video, it was just, um, I don't think that was, ne I honestly don't believe that was neglectful on anybody's part. I really believe that we were all just surviving because it, it was just normal. I didn't realize until I was much older that the way I grew up was not normal and that sounds crazy because the story is crazy but it was just how we lived you know oh I'm sorry okay yeah no one likes holding the mic that close so that's what you have to do um it didn't you, you left and it's not like that stuff stayed with you because it happened to you but then it but the dysfunction was still there in a part of your life he lived with your folks like his entire life right and so when they're that close and you're close to your folks that just all that and it, you know to some family dynamics and you said he like you you felt like you took advantage of that oh yeah yeah I mean I did I, I felt like you know he never had to he never had to pay for anything. He never had to pay rent. He never he got to eat for free. You know, but yeah, I felt like he took advantage of them. Um, which is going to again create some 
it's just going to create some problems in the family when Correct. the other kids feel like one kid is <laughs> taking advantage of it. But as the story goes, like it, it later, um, you know, there was a realization that that he cared for your parents as they grew older more than everybody else did, just because he was right there. Yeah, right. He was right there. Um, but that is, par you know, part of the whole dynamic is that you can see it's sometimes easier to see the. It's hard to get over the bad stuff and see the good stuff in any relationship. It really more is with, more with family. Um, it, he lo just did his at your dad's funeral. He complete. He just lost it. Yes. What did we say that was ninety? Not Twenty fifteen. Twenty fifteen. I keep saying it was nineteen ninety six. I don't know why. Um, Twenty fifteen. Yes, the day my dad was buried, we went to um, the Knights of Columbus Hall, which I don't know if any guys are from small towns, but <laughs> there's always a Knights of Columbus Hall or a VFW Hall or something, and that's where people gather to have weddings and funerals anybody, and other kind of things. Anybody we had our wedding. About? We had our wedding reception in a fire hall. Yeah. Because Bobby Joe's yeah. from a. Not real big town. I'm yep. not from a big town, but we, it wasn't a thing. I was yeah. like, wait, we're having our wedding reception where? But I just kept my mouth shut because that's what you do. Yeah. And it's always potluck, you know. The little ladies come in and cook. And the Knights of Columbus, I don't really understand what they are, but there's some kind of secret fraternity with the Catholic Church. I don't really know what they are. Um, but they have their own hall. And in the basement, people gather and have a potluck after somebody gets married or after somebody dies. So that's what we did, and then when we, we then you get the family gathers all the food that's left over and takes it back to their house, so they can have, you know, something to eat. Um, and I'm so sick of the word triggered, but I don't know how else to say this. Uh, so whatever it was about bringing Steve did not go to the Knights of Columbus Hall, and Steve is my brother. And when we got back to his house or their house, um, the food triggered him, and he lost his. He just lost it. He, he lost it. He started, I mean, police were called, guns were drawn, punches were thrown, things were said. You know, it was, he, and at the end of it, he ended up being put in a mental facility. Um, they could only keep him there for three days. I don't want to get started on our mental health system, but geez, they could only keep him there for three days. And they did. Um, we left by then. And the, the, um, the and, and immediately before his death, the animal abuse had been a months-long conflict for I, you. Because you found out he yeah. had been, he's still abusing animals. Yeah. And I, you were wrestling with. I always thought he only did it as part of my torture. Like, because it was my animal. They were, they were my animals that he would do this to, you know. So I thought it was my torture. And then um, I found out that he was still doing it um, at different times. And for some reason, throughout the years, I have had to forgive and forgive and forgive. It's just a perpetual forgiveness state with him because it, was, because it kills you not to, you know. And that is actually what happened when I found out he was... Um, hurting animals again, I couldn't, I couldn't get there. I tried and I couldn't get there. Um, it just was, it was haunting me. I was just, uh, it, it would, it was seeped into my brain and I couldn't get it out of my brain and I didn't know what to do about it. Yeah, and at the end of the day, that's why, what, what we're up here about is forgiveness and how hard that can be in families. It's real hard. Now, you're, if we step out for a second, what you grew up 
going to church every Sunday, as you said, Catholic church. Right. Midwestern Catholic, Northern Catholic. Yes. I grew up with a lot of Northern Catholics. A lot of guilt and shame engaged. There can be a lot of guilt and shame with Southern Baptists too, let's say. Okay. Uh, or anybody, really, because I think we're geared towards law. But, right. But there was one that I was familiar with. And so when you started coming to Oak City Church, which was busy a day at the time, I, I believe, mm-hmm. um, like there was a revelation about what Christianity was all about. Yeah. Ten years ago is when I started coming. And then, and I know this because of, who was it? Shannon? Yeah. I know this because my baptism accidentally got archived, or I guess it was on purpose for Shannon, but um, I got baptized with uh, Kendall and Lisa Quinn. If you were here were, last week. We were talking yeah. about Kendall and Lisa getting baptized, and it was the same day. It was the same day. So I and for and Shannon filmed it because he's friends with Kendall. So I now know it was June eighth, two thousand twelve, um, is when I got baptized. But I was supposed to get baptized a couple weeks before that. Uh, and I got cold feet, and I called Jeff and said, I, I, I don't think I can do this because I, I'm still sinning too much. I have to stop sinning so that I can come in and get baptized. And Jeff said, uh, yeah, you just need to come in. We've got to talk about this a little bit more. Uh, so I did, and we sat at the table at Vizio Day and talked about Ephesians. Two. Ephesians 2. And um, I, I was just... I didn't under, I still, it was hard for me to comprehend what, and what I said to him was, but I don't get it. I mean, I don't know why Jesus did this. I, I, I don't deserve it. Now, you know, your bestie would say, oh, yes, you do. You're awesome. But Jeff said, no, you really don't. <laughs> um, and that's when it sunk in. Like, we really don't. Yeah, that's the point. We are helpless and cannot stop sinning. It's just, it's impossible. So thank God he forgives us constantly. Because I sin constantly. I do. Um, So just to, because we're going to come back to this, but that passage, which again, like, I feel like I haven't returned to it as much down here as I did up there. But with Catholic friends growing up, it was just a stark thing. Uh, But Ephesians 2, you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that's now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, caring about the desires of our body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places with Christ Jesus, in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, that no one may boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Um, and that, when it comes to <laughs> then forgiveness, your brother can't stop sinning. You know, and that's the, the call is, you know, Father, forgive us our sins as we have been forgiven. And we, we can, like, it's easier to do that out the, out you know, with people that 
we have less close relationships with, but the people that are closest to us, um, it's harder uh, to do it. And this, this story, like, he, um, even, even, and I skipped this, but earlier, well, like when you were young, the motorcycle, there was a motorcycle thing where he and Mike were riding motorcycles and S Steve was the one that clipped you and, and he expressed like real concern and he, and it bothered him that he had done it, but you almost never got that. And we'll, we'll go down that road in just a second yeah. because it bothered him. But yeah. he couldn't, there's just something about family, and especially because you're so close and because there's so much water under those bridges, and that it, it feels like in the end he could, not, he could not bring himself either to face it or to apologize for things that he'd done because he didn't know what he was going to get back in return, whether he'd get the retribution that he knows he deserved or whether he would receive grace, and he was too afraid to, like, get there which is the dynamic in every family at some level you know like i'm i would guess that we all have relationships that flash in our minds whether they're family or otherwise um and yet the gospel has the power and and part of this talk is um is a challenge to as quick as you can try and let the gospel work through the relationships in your family so these things don't build up over time and you know end up being unresolved um, because of a car accident but forgiveness has been a lifelong deal for you with your brother Steve which makes the phone call in April and what happens afterwards like super complicated now right the night of the phone call your home group met before and you did what? Can I talk a little yeah. bit going on? Okay, so right after, well, uh, going back like a year later, or a year earlier, um, I called Jeff because I found out that the animal abuse was ongoing, and it just, it, it just, I couldn't let it go. And I called Jeff to find out if you could be um, litigious and forgiving at the same time. Is there, is there such a thing? Because I was thinking about turning him in. But I'm a thousand miles away. It's secondhand information for me, and you know, I didn't know what to do. So then I just I prayed and prayed and prayed, and it seemed to be getting um, my intentions seemed to be going backwards. Uh, so and I kind of felt myself slipping. It, my prayers turned went from God give me the strength to want to forgive him to me ranting that I was never going to forgive him, and um, I wished he could feel the same torture that the animals did, and I, I, it was dark. So I called Katie Pritchett and said, I don't know what to do about this. I think I'm, you know, I think it's killing me, and I'm, I can feel my heart getting hard, and I'm, I think I'm, everything's getting dark for me. And she encouraged me to talk to, this was on a Saturday, and on Tuesday, she encouraged me to, or she, we had home group that Tuesday, and she encouraged me to talk to home group, and it took me to the very end of it. I think even some people had left the call because we were still Zooming, or at least I was. I think some people had finished up home group, and I got on there, and at the very end, I said, you guys, I, I can't even begin to forgive my brother right now. I can't even ask to, for, to want to forgive my brother right now, and I just, I need you guys to pray for me because I can't because um, I can't do it and that was at the end of home group and my sister called about the accident about an hour and a half later 
Um, and that, to catch up with some circumstances surrounding the accident as well, he was, he was still living in, in his parents' house in the basement. Right. Um, the accident happened right across the street. The mom had moved in with Mike, with brother Mike, and it's, Mike's it's kids <laughs> had bought the house from mom, yeah. but Steve wouldn't get his stuff out of the basement. Yeah. And so, like, Mike's wife, Steve's and Leanne's sister-in-law, had, had gone at him earlier that day. Like, come on, man, get your stuff. He, like, and he had found a place to move, but he didn't want to move to it. And so when the accident happened, your first suspicion was? Uh, most of us thought it was suicide. Um, just the context of it, where it happened, and his familiarity with the road yeah. led you to believe that. And so the, the response wasn't. I mean, was it more anger than sadness? Like, huh. you made the comment, he made everything hard in life. Yeah, my initial, it was, I was angry. Yeah, I was angry. I was angry. Um, the sadness was underlying, and I knew it was there. I just didn't address it until later. Because I, I, was, I was pissed. I thought he committed suicide right in front of my nephew's new house, and I was just mad. I Which mean, is because, totally understandable. You know, I mean, everything that he did made things more difficult for our family the whole time he was alive, and now he's doing it again, and I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I was mad. And the next week was kind of a train wreck of family dysfunction and what, I mean, what to do and yeah. what was really going on with him because you don't know when someone's in, you know, a coma. Uh, and just hard. Now, it turns out that the police said it wasn't. It, they could see where he overcorrected, and the yeah. tox report came back, and he was... He was drunk. Really drunk. And um, he didn't have a seatbelt on, and he um, overcorrected on a gravel road. Yeah. And in, the, and in the... You ended up going home about a week later, for a few, for a few weeks or a week or whatever, but, and some things happened, like his friends had a celebration for him in a bar. Yeah, he, we, he said he never wanted a, a funeral or, you, you know, anything like that. Um, so we were trying to honor his wishes, but all of us felt like it was kind of wrong. Like, you know, because, I mean, frankly, funerals aren't for the dead. They're for the living. And we just felt like it was weird to just let this life end, you know, with nothing. So one of his best friends came, and as I was having this thought, it was really weird. I went to her place of business to talk to her about it, to see if she could talk to my family. And she was coming to see me to see if I would talk to my family. So we sat down, and uh, we said that the bar sounded like the right, the little local bar, Water and Hole, was the right way to go and just have people come and tell their stories and pay their respects. And people said really positive things about him. Oh, yeah. Steve was fun. He was fun. I'm, I know that sounds crazy, but he was a lot of fun when he was good Steve. And they saw, I mean, people only talk about good Steve when you die anyway. Right. Um, well, but you can't help it when you've seen so much of bad Steve, which is part of the conflict, you know, what, yeah. what to do with that and how to forgive it. But, so there was, but there just was a lot of stories and a lot of people that you guys didn't know because right. he had a whole other life. There was a woman that, uh, Carla Hopkins. Yeah, her name was Carla Hopkins. Um, I did not know her. I got, you know, Facebook Messenger. I got this little thing from Carla Hopkins asking me about Steve when he was still hanging on on life support in the hospital. It was actually the day before we had to make the decision. Um, 
and she, she, she wanted information because she had heard rumors and she loves Steve and nobody would tell her anything and could I please tell her? And at first I was like, I don't know you and why are you asking me these, these very personal questions while my brother is, you know, on death's door. And so I just gave her a very short answer. It, nothing mean, just, you know, I don't even remember what it was. It was courtesy. And then she sent a message back to me that she said, I, um, I'm really sorry to bother you, but I found you through Facebook because Steve talked about you all the time. Which I thought was really weird because I have a brother and sister in the area about, you know, eight miles from where she lives. Um, yeah, and you made the comment, you just assumed he never really thought anything positive about you. Well, yeah, you know, I, I have heard through many therapy sessions that abusers have a target. Um, but it took me a long time to kind of wrap my head around that. And I assumed that I was the target because he hated me. Um, but, and we talked about this. I can't remember where this comment came from. I can't remember who told me this. But somebody told me that I was his target because I could take, because I could handle it. Because I, I don't know if that was instinctive for him or if that was, I don't know. Conjecture, maybe. I don't, I really don't know where that stemmed from, to yeah. be honest with you, but. You said he spent, um, you have a now 16-year-old son. Yeah. AJ um, is 16, for anybody who knows AJ. 16. AJ and he has, wants to drive. has Downs. He has Down syndrome. Uh, I'll let you know if he gets his license. Steve, Steve talked to him. Steve called AJ every week. Or every, yeah, once a week. And they talked for? About an hour. Every week. That's an uncle of the year. He was a good uncle. I mean, that's... Astounding. He was he was complicated. He was a good uncle. Um, and in his effects, when you guys were, you know, cleaning out his room, um, you found a Bible? Yeah. Which surprised you? Yeah. When I was growing up, I remember him very specifically saying that he hated God and, he, and some other colorful, awful things about God. Um, he didn't want anything to do with church or God or anybody else or, you know, anything that had anything to do with it. And there was a Bible packed in his stuff. And a book about depression. Yeah. It looks like it was written in the 70s, but still. <laughs> it was a book about how to understand and overcome depression. Because, you know. And then a journal. Um... Yeah, this was the journal. It's just a notebook. But it's front and back, and again, we grew up on a farm, and it might sound really weird that I, that these animals got into my heart so badly when we hunted, but it's different. <laughs> um, so this journal, he hunted coyotes, and this journal is written front and back about his, it's, a, it's very detailed about his coyote hunting, 
like where he went, what, whose fields he was in. He, you know, it's 12.15 a.m. to 5 a.m., lots of excitement. Saw six deer while looking for the coyote and October 14th at 12 a.m. Like it's, 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 you know. And for your nephew. Yeah, the, the, we opened it. <laughs> my nephew and I were down there and my nephew was born in, what is it, 94, Something. 95? Um, I don't remember when, I can't remember how old he's in it, but he's young. Um, and if you open it, the very first page is a letter to Ryan that start. I won't read the whole thing, but it starts with, these notes are for you and your sister and your children and hers. Um, and it's because he knew that those kids were going to be raised hunters, you know. And it talks in there about loving the land and respecting nature. And he was complex. Yeah. I, I, need, I should say... He later was diagnosed with schizophrenia, which added to the complication because when you're having so much trouble with forgiveness anyway and somebody has a mental illness to boot, then you, there's nowhere to assign blame, you know. It's like what he did to me wasn't my fault and it wasn't his, evidently. Yeah. There, where is God when life happens? Like, God's always there. And the gospel gives us a lens through which to understand complicated situations and it can handle the gospels can be so simple but it can handle complicated situations you know so we're all made in the image of god for you know great things that we can walk into and you can see some of that in him you know the image of god and the and good things in him uh we all have we all have a cancer called sin that is more destructive than we can fathom it is um and the conversation at the old building, at the table, about talking Ephesians. about Ephesians, is yeah. part of that is a realization for you that, yeah, sin is not something you could have gotten over. <laughs> That's why Jesus had to die on the cross, and it's not something um, he could have gotten over. And, and Jesus, the, the rich became poor so that the poor could become rich, and so Jesus sacrificed so that we could be uh, forgiven. And and, but then, and then that can make us new individually and can make us new in our communities to the extent to which we are able to live that out to each other. But that's just hard. It's hard to do. And the hardest place to do it is probably, it could be the easiest place to do it. But oftentimes the hardest place to do it is in your family because um, family, family relate by their nature. Family relationships are super intense and I, a couple months ago, I forget what sermon it was, but I talked about the chore chart. Does anybody remember this about the chore chart and what happens when one individual fails on the chore chart thing and how everybody pays for it? And we got talking about that the other day. You can go listen. I don't even remember where it was. Um, but everybody knows what that's like because everybody pays for it. And this is just writ large when it's that type of, you know, and, and whatever he had going on, the mental illness, some of it's his own decisions and he takes response, but some of it he can't. But everybody in the family bears the weight of that and um, the gospel can give some peace and understanding it but it also gives you the challenge the challenge but the opportunity i would say to forgive it and to not live under it but to put it someplace like for christ to take it and um and to forgive and as as i said earlier he probably couldn't show it seems like he was 
aware or well aware? I'd say well aware of what he'd done. Sometimes yes, and sometimes no. I mean, there was... But for whatever reason, couldn't... Yusu didn't have the reconciliation that's possible, that was possible, and that would have been super helpful and would have taken some a mediator between the two of you right. in all likelihood to have, like, right. to really understand what happened and for forgiveness to be extended and received and, you know, an apology to be extended and received. But it's, maybe that's, like, the, the bigger tragedy in all of it is that's right, it's there. That can happen. The gospel can make sense of that on both sides. But it's so hard to do, both because of the family relationships, but also the distance, and then you don't have context as much for that because you don't see each other as often, and, yeah. and you don't really have to, to do it. Um, yeah. He, he, he actually called me and apologized after Dad's funeral. And I forgave him, but I never really... I didn't talk to him much after that, and it wasn't because I was still mad at him, and it wasn't because I didn't like him or, you know. It was because you have to have boundaries. I don't think he understood that. I think he thought that I really didn't forgive him and that I was lying when I said I did. Hmm. Um, the last time I talked to him, he was, I didn't tell you this, the last time I talked to him, he called because he wanted me to bring the kids and come visit again. And he was trying to send me money to do it. And I was trying to explain to him that it wasn't the money that was keeping me from going. Mm. I just, my kids saw what went down at the funeral and I honestly don't ever want them to think that that's normal. There is one story that you told that was kind of like emblematic of the whole thing when he broke into St. Sally's house. So St. Sally is going to be a chapter in Leanne's book yeah, herself because her story is a lifetime movie. It is. Her story is crazy. But they called her St. Sally because... This is my Aunt Sally. She... Call her St. Sally. Is a saint. Because she's just a really good person. Like a really good person. And so, so you were in college, so Steve had to be in his 20s when this happened. Yeah, I've been thinking about that. I don't, I've been trying to think of the timeline of this. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Okay. You're right, it doesn't matter when this happened. But it, I was in my, in my late teens. Let's just say I was in my late teens. Um, so Steve broke into my aunt and uncle's house and stole a bunch of their belongings. Um, Probably so needed money for drugs. Needed money for drugs. Or to pay off somebody. We, we really don't know. But we always assumed it was to pay for drugs. Um, and my, I just had this conversation with Aunt Sally when I was there. Like, she was telling me the full scoop. St. Sally. St. Sally. Um, she has a, the way he broke in the house, the easiest way for him to get in the house would have been to, bro to, to break one of her doors. It's, a, it's got a big oval of glass. It would have been easy. But it was also the door from her childhood home, and she talked about it often, and he didn't do that. He found a different way to get in the house. And she said that when she and my Uncle Danny walked in, she looked around and said, well, we have just been burglarized by the most polite person in the world because all every, instead of ransacking everything, everything was set neatly in stacks. 
Like they had, uh, I guess they had a bunch of family pictures and heirlooms and things sitting around their electronics and he stacked them up nice and neat and then took all the electronics. And the same was in their bedroom. He, did, he took the valuable stuff, but he didn't disturb anything that was there. And they immediately knew who it was. They had absolutely no doubt about who it was. Um, you want to keep tell the yeah. rest of it? Okay, so they also knew that the best thing for Steve, they were, they're his godparents, by the by. Um, they also knew that the best thing for Steve was to face discipline for his actions. So they went through with, pressing charges and uh, and when he was in court they they were in there and they forgave him and she said it 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 destroyed him that they forgave him that he was he had a hard time looking at them or talking to them after and then he went to prison Because it wasn't the only house he stole from that night. So he did have an actual prison term. Man, and that, like, it destroyed him because they forgave him. Is, is that too different than what happened when we were reading through Ephesians? No. It's I mean, this story is extreme, but I really think it's all of us. You know what I mean? Like, I think every one of us has this story, maybe just at a different level. Yeah. Some worse and some not as bad, but it's all the same story. And the gospel in a way, should destroy us. Yeah. And making us realize who we are and what was necessary for us to be rescued. Yeah. But destroy us in the best possible, um, the best possible way. Yeah. And you, your heart now towards him is, is very sympathetic. Um, yeah, when I found this, okay, so in this journal, there's this drawing of what I thought was a very poorly drawn baseball diamond in the back and I wasn't I was, wasn't paying any attention I read it and it's um, it's a spaceship that he was convinced he saw and he was asking the spaceship to this was in like 98 so it wasn't like he was a kid um, it wasn't made from any metal on earth I hope to see it again one day who knows maybe next time my dog and I might get a ride from this spacecraft so it's like there was some madness there, and, I, and I, it occurred to me that when I was so angry, I was hoping he would feel the torture that he placed on other people and, and on animals, and um, I, it occurred to me he was tortured his whole life, and nobody helped him, you know? I think people tried, but nobody really got it down. Um, so he was tortured his whole life, and and I immediately was able to pray for peace for him, I hope. I, I pray that he found peace and that he was saved before he died. Because, you know, what an exhausting life he, he had. And that's a good place for your heart to be. Yeah, it occurred to me that, I, I've, and I've said this to my home group at, at least, and probably other people many times, it's exhausting because you have to, it's perpetual forgiveness and it's exhausting. And as I was saying that just up here now, I'm like, and, and I just said out loud, I sin all the time. So I'm having to be perpetually forgiven. So it's a good thing God doesn't get exhausted, I guess. Um. And 
you got his dog. Oh yeah, there was nobody to take his dog, so we have a dog. Her name is Maggie, and she used to belong to my brother. And mm. he, he rescued her. It's very complicated. <laughs> oh my gosh. Very complicated. Uh, so in this, and, and we're gonna finish, and there's no more music. We're just, but you have a communion cup, and um, you have a communion cup. These are a little complicated. You got to take the top little sheet of plastic off first, and then you take the I've bottom. I've done jello shots before, Jeff. I know how to do this. <laughs> my, um, yeah, my assumption is that everybody has a couple people in mind that you have really complicated relationships with, and they're difficult. And my, just go working through this, not just this week, but for months, Leanne and I have been talking about this story for this, for this series. Um, boundary, like we got, you do have to have boundaries. I'm not saying go be everybody's best friend because that's not on you. You know, there's two, takes two to tango. Um, but I don't think God wants us, in, our hearts, in a place of just constant anger and like the gospel lets us get to a place of, or wants us to keep, to not quit, and to move as much as we possibly can to a place of forgiveness and to a place of reconciliation. And um, so my hope is that that the, the the spirit would convict us if there are relationships where we we stopped, and we settled, and. Um, he doesn't want us to. And so, you know, when the Lord's Prayer says, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us, or Jesus and the cross says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Um, or Romans says, uh, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Um, that those things would push us to a place of, even if it's as much as it depends on us, to be at peace with all people. And and to continue to work towards forgiveness. And I know that's different for everybody and situations are complicated. And I'd love to talk to you about that if I could be helpful or point you to a therapist that could, that it, you know, maybe could be, well, definitely could be more helpful than me. But like, you know, if that's what's necessary, um, but just to push uh, not to quit. And you never quit. I don't, like, your stories, you know, you, you kept pushing to forgive. Um, yeah. But it just is, and it's, 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 hopefully nobody has a story as complicated and traumatic as yours, but I'm sure people do, Sue. So this is, and so this is, as we do this, I just want you to take a minute and, man, this is, these relationships with our families are, the, are where the gospel gets played out in really, really practical ways. And so before we do this, I'd ask you to just to take a minute and to quietly pray and ask God to search your heart and ask God to help you with whatever relationship that might be and whatever step that might be. And in just a minute, I'll, I'll lead us through taking, taking the, the bread and the cup.
Father, I think about um, Jesus talking about the kingdom of, telling people the kingdom of God is near, and the kingdom is the place where you get things the way that you want them to be, and the kingdom is a place where you want us forgiven and reconciled, and you sent your son so that we could be forgiven, and that we could be reconciled to you, but that we could be reconciled to each other. And so I pray for your kingdom to come and your will be, be done in the relationships that you have brought to our, our minds and our hearts and our souls. We long for that, God. We long for your kingdom. And we long um, for all of us to live in the knowledge of the love that you have for us, of um, the price that you paid for our sins to be forgiven, and to long in pe to live in, in peace with you and, and with each other, Lord. Um, so with that in mind, this is the body of Christ that was broken for you. Do this in remembrance of him. And this is the blood of Christ that's been shed for you. And so drink this in remembrance of him. Father, thank you that all those songs we sang at the beginning of service are 100% true. Thank you that you um, give us a hope that will never fade and that it is not something that um, we have made up to make ourselves feel better, but it is something that we know because of the life and the death and the resurrection and the promised return of Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen.